0: Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Maureen Francisco, who is author of It Takes Moxie, Off the Boat or Out of School to Making It Your Way in America. Today we will discuss her book. After graduating from college, Maureen spent five years rising in the ranks of the media world, as a TV news reporter or weekend anchor at station affiliates around the country, ending up at a station in the top 12 market of Seattle, Washington. She worked in sales for a while before following her next big dream, reality TV. She was the first contestant on CBS's Power of Ten with Drew Carey, joined the reality TV show Solitary 3.0, and went on into modeling, acting, and writing. She is co owner of NW Productions, a media and production company, and working on her first screenplay. She's also the co president of the Seattle Ascend Chapter, a nonprofit organization that nurtures Pan Asian leaders. Maureen, welcome. Hi, Elena. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I think we have many immigrants and children of immigrants or grandchildren of immigrants among our listeners. So, this is a topic in a lot of ways that is going to be perhaps near and dear and encouraging to many. I agree. It seems like in the media lately, you hear
1: some stories of immigration stories or topics. So this is very prevalent in what's happening in today's world.
0: Now, you yourself immigrated to the United States from the Philippines. Is that right?
1: Yes, I was just five years old, I could barely speak a word of English, and I still remember as though it happened yesterday, it was cold, because in the Philippines it's constantly hot, and when you come to Washington State, even though if it's only 60s or 70s, to me that was cold, and I remember feeling cold right away. And to this day I still haven't acclimated to 70 degrees weather, so at the house, with my husband, I like to crank up the heat, and sometimes I'll wear a couple of um, layers of clothes and even a bathrobe to stay warm, and he just makes fun of me that I still haven't acclimated to, to uh, normal um, weather for, for some people.
0: Now, one of the challenges for many immigrants coming to the United States, of course, is language. And I know five is still young so that you can absorb a lot of things. But was it challenging, or did you arrive here speaking English already? So I knew just
1: a little bit of English because in the Philippines, is actually encouraged in the school system to speak English. So we call it Taglish. You speak a little bit of your native tongue, which is Tagalog. And you also speak English. And what's happening in the Philippines is people are combining, um, people are combining both languages to make it Taglish. So when I came to this country, I had a very difficult time having a conversation with people, but I could understand bits and pieces. So I fell behind in school. This was in the first grade, and it was apparent that I had to switch to another school that specialized in English as a second language. Um, Once again, I could um, barely understand what the the lessons were, but I could still somehow um, communicate barely enough to get my message across. But again, I was falling behind in school. I went to another school that specialized in English as a second language. And I was really determined to go back to my original school. So within two years, by the time I reached the third grade, I was back to my original school. And I really focused hard on making sure I knew how to speak the language. When I got home after school, I would watch television um, newscasts and listen to how the reporters and anchors spoke. I would um, also practice with my parents. And my dad enforced an English-only rule at the house so I wouldn't fall behind in school and I could really pick up the English language.
0: Now, all these years, you have control, you have dominion over the language, and you have done so much more. What drove you to write the book, It Takes Moxie? I was speaking to a group of friends who
1: were telling me that there's not as many opportunities in this country, the economy is tanking, and I wanted to share with them a story of my grandmother who came from the Philippines and moved to this country in her 50s. As soon as she got her working permit, she started working at a hotel laundry department. Now it was not a glamorous job, but my grandmother had responsibilities. She has nine children, and at that time, 40-some grandchildren. So in the Philippines, most companies would not look at her twice and give her the job that she got in America with benefits. She was very grateful for the experience here, and she's retired now and uh, travels back and forth from the Philippines to America. And I wanted to tell my friends, yes, it was not a glamorous job, but my grandmother had responsibilities. And sometimes when you are looking at your dream job, you might not get it overnight. Success does not happen overnight. It takes dedication every single day looking at what success is in your mind or what that dream is and working at it. Every single day is like a target. That's what I like to call it. And you tell yourself, what did I do today that got me closer to that target?
0: If I understand the it, the nutshell is that you have to be driven, that you have to try hard, and if you do, the opportunities are there. Is that a good summary?
1: Yes. And not only did I share my grandmother's story, but other Immigrants or people who came from humble beginnings, who I met along the way. Another example: uh, Rich Cho. He is the first Asian American general manager of a major sports franchise, and at that time, it was the Portland Trailblazer. Rich came to this country from Burma. He and I actually went to the same school district, but graduated different times. Um, Rich's parents were immigrants, so. Are immigrants, so they wanted him to have a safe job. So it was very natural for him to go to college and major in engineering. He then worked at the Boeing Company, which is a very respectable company, but that wasn't his real passion. So after doing research online, he decided, you know what, I really love sports and I want to go into an executive role in sports. So he knew in order to have that position, He would either need to have been a former professional player or have majored in law. So what he did was he then resigned from the Boeing Company, moved to Southern California, and pursued his law degree. And he told me every single summer he would then move back to Seattle and intern with the Seattle Supersonics, making minimum wage. Now, you have to keep in mind, he was 29 years old when all of this happened, and he was making a really good um, paycheck. So for him to go from a good paycheck to nothing, to almost nothing, that takes quite a bit of moxie or what I like to say determination um, to go after that goal. And it wasn't fun. He told me he lived um, with his brother and slept on the floor of his brother's apartment making minimum wage, but he knew that's what he needed to do to one day be an executive of a sports company. So in addition to being an intern and sleeping on the floor of his brother's apartment, he also knew he had to prove himself in that internship. He was the first one in the office, the last one to leave. He asked a lot of questions. He was a sponge. And when he finally graduated from Pepperdine and, and uh and earned his uh, law degree. He then worked part-time for the Seattle Superstonics. He wanted to make sure he continued to have his foot in the door. And a year after graduating, he finally earned a full-time position. So um, the story, um, the moral of that story with Rich, once again, overnight success does not happen. It took him years to finally become a GM of a major sports franchise. It was the Portland Trailblazers, and today he is the general manager of the Charlotte
0: Bobcats. What drew you to the media world? When I was in high school, I did
1: something completely out of my comfort zone, and I participated in a pageant. And I remember I was Miss Federal Way, and the local reporter there interviewed me, and I thought, wow, what a fun job. Here she gets to tell people's story for a living. So that planted a seed in my mind that one day I would like to pursue a career in storytelling. So after, uh, after college, I then um, worked all over the country. I worked in Yakima, Washington. That was where I received my first TV job, then moved all the way to Savannah, Georgia, in Flint, Michigan and eventually back to uh, Seattle, Washington. And I just love storytelling. And one thing that's really fascinating about the media um it's never boring. You get to meet interesting people all the time like right now Elena, you get to interview people and live vicariously through them and learn through them, learn their stories and see what kind of impact they're making in the world and what fun projects they're doing, and that's one thing that I really love about this business is that my day is never the same, um, and uh, and I naturally uh, gravitated towards this um, industry because I wanted to meet interesting and fun people. At the same time, I have a passion for storytelling, so after uh, reporting, I have a guilty pleasure of watching reality shows. now. Elaine, do you enjoy reality shows at all?
0: I'm afraid not. Okay. Well, I
1: have a guilty pleasure of watching reality shows, and I found that millions of other people do, and it's oftentimes the number one show on any network. So I did um, not one but two. I did Fox I was on the Fox reality channel, Solitary 3.0, as well as CBS's Power of 10 with Drew Carey. And, again, that's another form of entertainment or storytelling. And then I eventually became a contributor for numerous media outlets from Huffington Post to um, theyoungupstart.com. And then I wrote a book. So, again, I just love storytelling. And each phase of my uh, life, I get to... Tell different stories to different audience.
0: What is it about storytelling that you find appealing? Storytelling
1: is very therapeutic. You get to just let the words speak for themselves. And with my specialty, I enjoy interviewing people. And uh, and with my book, um, I shared with you how I was inspired, and that was through my grandmother's stories, and along the way, along my journey in my life, I got to meet a lot of amazing people who I found had a lot of moxie in their lives, Richo being one of them, Dr. Connie Mariano, who is the first military woman to be the White House physician to three U.S. presidents, and I remember her telling me the story that she had to educate people what success looks like, because at the time that she was at the White House, People thought she was the nurse and not the doctor. So during emergency situations, when she would be there at the White House, they would go to her and say, Where's the doctor? And she would tell them, I am the doctor. And she wasn't angry towards the people who didn't see her as a doctor. This was her chance to educate people that excellence might look different than what they had perceived earlier. And she gave me a piece of advice that I have taken to heart. She said, whatever you do, do it with excellence. And that way, any perceptions people have about you, those will go away if you live life of service and do things with excellence. So going back to the question you asked me, I'm just, I just enjoy storytelling because I get to live vicariously through people's lives and hear their ups and downs and what they did to be where they're at today, and I really enjoy that. I enjoy building relationships.
0: She wrote the foreword for your book, isn't that right?
1: She did. She wrote the foreword of my book. She gave me an opportunity. We were having lunch in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I was interviewing her for a magazine, At that time, it was uh, Stiletto Women magazine, and after I was done interviewing her, she then started to interview me and asked me what projects I was working on, and I told her I'm writing this book, educating people that there are still opportunities in this country, but you just have to go after them. And I wanted to use either stories of immigrants or, or people who came from humble beginnings. And she asked me, so who is writing the foreword of your book. And I told her, I don't have anybody. And if you are ever going to get a non-fiction book published, you need somebody with a big name to write the foreword of your book, to have a chance of getting it published in the traditional form, not self-publishing. And with her book, The White House Doctor, she had President William Clinton write the foreword of her book and she told me you know what Maureen I want to give you an opportunity and I'll be happy to write the foreword of your book and um, the rest is history and that's how I was able to secure a literary agent who eventually was able to um, sell my book to a publisher she gave me an opportunity
0: what would you say has been your inspiration has it been your grandmother who would you say have been the figures that have inspired you
1: there are so many people who have inspired me. My mother, her tenacity and her positive attitude. She was um, at a place in her life when we just moved to this country. She's a college educated woman, but her work experience in the Philippines did not translate in America. And she had a child to support. So at that time, um, the position that gave her an opening was to become a housekeeper. And I knew my mother was way more talented than this, but she also had bills to pay and a daughter to support, so she took that job. And, uh, and I just remember when she took that job because it taught me an important life lesson that sometimes you might not be doing something that you enjoy doing, but it's not permanent. It doesn't define you. It's only temporary. And fortunately, my mother was then promoted to become um, uh, one of the organizers for the catering department at the hotel. And then she eventually worked at the Boeing Company in the communications department and retired there. So she taught me a life lesson once again that sometimes you might do a job that you don't enjoy, but once again, it's temporary, it doesn't define you but it should not stop you from going after the job that you really want. Another person who inspired me is my Lola for being so brave to move to this country in her 50s and taking a job that wasn't very glamorous because she knew she had a family to support. So once again, um, another lesson that I learned that you've got to fulfill your obligations or responsibilities my husband is another inspiration to me. He breathes words into me that, is, that teaches me so many life lessons. He taught me that it's very important what you say because your tongue is the most powerful tool that you have. It starts wars, it breaks wars, it lifts people up, it brings people down. So you have to be really careful at what you say. And another thing that he taught me is reaction. Sometimes people tend to react um, during emotional situations. And he um, has told me, give yourself an hour or a day or a week before you react to a situation because you never want to regret it. And today he is a producer of the Miss Washington USA, Miss Washington Teen USA pageant. Miss Idaho USA and Miss Idaho Teen USA pageant and those are the lessons that he's sharing with these young women is because they have their whole lives ahead of them and he never wants them to have any regrets of saying something or reacting to a situation so um, those people have inspired me and also Dr. Connie Mariano she continues to be my mentor today she's um taught me a lot, whether it's publishing a book or just life lessons. Again, she taught me about the importance of doing excellence in everything that you do that will guarantee you not only will you be marketable,
0: employable,
1: but also memorable.
0: One of the things that you talk about, you dedicated a whole chapter in the book, and I think a lot of people don't give enough thought to that, is the importance or the value of money and prioritizing your decisions. Uh, would you tell us about that?
1: And another person who I did not mention is my father, who also inspired me, and that transitions to the question you're asking me, and it's about money, um, My dad, I remember growing up, he would always tell me, did you turn off the lights? Is that water running while you're brushing your teeth? And I would always think, goodness gracious, why is he so uptight about these things? And then when I started to live on my own and pay my own bills, I can hear my dad's voice. Did you turn off the lights? Did you make sure the water isn't running? It's because someone's paying for them somebody's paying for these bills. And when I was living with my parents, it was my dad. And when I was living on my own, it's me. And what I've learned about money is that don't spend beyond your means. And I've uh, learned not to put things on credit card. If I want to um, buy something, I should save and make sure I pay for it in cash. Now, I do use my credit card, but I make sure I do pay off whatever amount that I charge on my card that month because I don't want to get into a habit of living on credit. It's not healthy at all. I see people often um, when they start out businesses or buying a house and they can't pay for it, and it just puts them in a very sticky situation. So what I've learned is to save um, work hard so that way if I wanted to buy a big-ticket item, I can pay for it in cash. And living that mentality, I've, I've really enjoyed because it's actually um, made my life a lot more peaceful. Now, there was a situation where I did need to borrow money, and that was going to school. And one of the things I told myself was I want to make sure – I earned a lot of scholarships to pay for this massive loan. And I applied to a lot of scholarships. I, was, um, I really had a passion for school, so my grades were pretty good. But I did earn a lot of scholarships and paid three-fourths of my college education through scholarships and grants. And I tell people, young people or even um, executives, that they can follow this simple um, rule about money, make sure you don't live beyond your means, because there's a part of my book where I actually interviewed an executive who um, was a millionaire, but then lost it, and had to learn the life lessons of, of not living beyond your means, and now he does live within his means, he doesn't need you know, the lavish things in order to find him happiness, He can find happiness in the simple things of life. And that could even be writing down the things that you're grateful for each day. And that's actually what I do currently. I write about three new things I'm grateful for each day. And one of this would be the interview with you. So I'm going to definitely write that down. I'm grateful for going on another interview later on today. I'm grateful for having the opportunity to influence and impact millions of people. So I encourage people to, um, to write three things they're grateful for each day. They're going to look at life differently.
0: Would you say that your life has been different because you're an immigrant? My life
1: is a lot different because of me being an immigrant, and that's because I've had to earn everything when I came to this country, I could barely communicate with my peers. So once again, I had to work hard and learn how to speak um, English. And I'm glad I had that experience early on in life because now I'm in my 30s. So sometimes when life throws me a curveball, it doesn't phase me to a point where it paralyzes me. I just keep going. And I think a lot of immigrants that I've found who I interviewed in my book life threw them a lot of curveballs another example who I interviewed is Teddy Z who is executive producer of the pursuit of happiness he came from a family with humble beginnings his dad worked at a hotel and he told me his story where he would often watch movies to escape his current conditions because he wasn't happy. But that planted a seed in his mind about being part of the movie-making business. And uh, in his early 20s, he met with an executive in Hollywood and said, Hey, I want to do your job. What does it take to one day be an executive of uh of Hollywood and the executive told him, well, it helps if you go to an Ivy League school to make the connections and to graduate with a business degree. I don't think the executive gave Teddy that much, um, that much, uh, hope or, or really credit because the executive was really surprised to see Teddy back in his office a few years later and said, hey, I did exactly what you told me to do. I went to an Ivy League school, which which is Harvard, and I graduated with a business degree. Can you find a position for me within your company? And the executive did because he was really surprised by the tenacity that Teddy um, went after his dreams. And he knows going to an Ivy League school is not an easy thing to do. So, uh, So now Teddy was not an immigrant, but his parents were. So he learned the life lessons of working hard. And I think that's what immigrants have, is they know the values of having great work ethic, going after your dreams, because when you when you come from humble beginnings, you don't have a sense of entitlement. And that's one thing that I've learned. A lot of immigrants, they're not entitled to anything because they're just grateful for the opportunity. And not that they may have realized that they have developed these skills early on, but they're very grateful that these are the skills that they still have as adults. So when situations happen and it's not to their liking, it does not paralyze them compared to other adults where they might feel paralyzed with a situation, like they can't pay their bills. And some adults today feel absolutely paralyzed they don't know what to do and, um, and, and I say this loosely but most immigrants would be like well get a job any job to pay those bills
0: Do you feel that there is a particular kinship between immigrants that immigrants relate to each other in a particular way in a special way that's different from the way that non-immigrants relate to each other I believe so,
1: Elena, and the reason why is you know the journey an immigrant went through to get where he or she is at today. You appreciate how they've learned the language, especially with those who came to this country only knowing their native tongue. So you have that sense of appreciation and gratitude and understanding of where they came from. With Dr. Connie Mariano, To be the first military woman to head the White House medical unit, that is very impressive. For one, she's a woman, an immigrant in the military, and then becoming a White House doctor. I can appreciate her journey because I know to this day I still have to prove myself. I still have to show people what excellence looks like, that it might not be what they had perceived earlier. Excellence might look like somebody who stands barely at five feet tall, an immigrant, and a woman. So I can appreciate her journey because I knew she had to, or rather I know she had to knock down a lot of barriers and obstacles and um, discriminations that people had against her. And what I loved about what she did was she wasn't angry. She said, this is an opportunity to educate people what excellence looks like.
0: Many people believe that immigrants take the jobs that nobody else wants. But there's another side to that coin, and it's also that immigrants sometimes are willing to go the extra mile to do jobs that other people don't appreciate and perhaps to prove themselves. What do you think about that?
1: Elena, with my grandmother, she took a job in her 50s working at, the, at a hotel laundry department. Now, I cannot see any of my classmates ever take a job like that, but again, my grandmother had responsibilities, and she was just so grateful for earning a paycheck with benefits. You are right. Sometimes immigrants are um, are the pool of people who are willing to take jobs that nobody else wants is because they don't have that sense of entitlement. And I just want to also share with your listeners that when immigrants come to this country, they're not looking for a handout. They're hungry for the opportunities. So they are willing to do jobs that aren't very glamorous. My mother, being college educated, being one of them, When she came to this country, her work experience in the Philippines did not translate to the work experience in America, and uh, she had bills to pay and a daughter to support, so she had to take on that job as a hotel housekeeper, and once again, um, she knew that this was not going to be a permanent situation, but a temporary situation, and I believe most immigrants have that mentality. They know that this isn't the end, that their job is not what defines them. They're willing to work hard is because they have family and people who are depending on them to support.
0: Do you think that the immigrant experience extends across the different immigrant groups? And let me explain. Of course there are immigrants from different parts of the world and everybody arrives with their own cultural perspective and their own expectations and biases and desires. Do you think that these immigrant experiences that you've shared with us, that you've had and that other people have shared with you that are in the book, do you think that they cross all of these different groups, and and if so, in what ways? I do think so. So right now I live near Seattle,
1: Washington, and there is a surge of um, engineering and software openings because, you know, there's Microsoft, there's Amazon, there's a lot of high-tech companies in Seattle, Washington, and there's been a lot of immigrants from China or India who will move here with the college education, the pedigree, the experience, and they'll take on these high-paying jobs. They still have to prove themselves. And the reason why I say that is because When you are in an environment who might not know what success um, looks like or or what success looks like outside of their journey in their lives, um, they might have a different perception. So I believe immigrants, even who do come not with humble beginnings but with the pedigree and the accolades, they're still proving uh, proving to others what excellence looks like. And another story I'm going to use is Jeremy Lin, who is now a household name when it comes to basketball. He graduated from um, Harvard, and people didn't really look at him twice when he wanted to become a professional basketball player. And then when he finally had a chance to show people his talent, all of a sudden people are very interested because here is this Asian guy who can play ball. I mean, to this day, we're still proving to others what excellence looks like. And, uh, and, and I think um, the journey has gotten better thanks to people who have opened doors for myself, like Dr. Connie Mariano. But I think just in general, immigrants do have to um, show people what excellence looks like. And I don't believe Jeremy... Lynn was an immigrant, but I know I, his parents. He came from um, a family of immigrants who, once again, had to prove to others um, what excellence looks like, and they had to work hard, so I believe that's where he got his work ethic. So t- to get back to your question, Elena, yes, I think of, of, of any um, country coming to this country, people coming from different countries coming to this country, they still do have to prove themselves.
0: One of the things that you talk about in the book, I think it's toward the end, is you talk about finding what inspires you, finding your passion. What do you mean by that?
1: Passion to me is what gets you up in the morning. You hear your alarm clock go off and you just want to go after it, whatever it is. I have a passion for storytelling. I have a passion for impacting lives and making people's lives better, whether through my journey, my storytelling, through my interactions, through my relationships that I build, but that's where my passion is, that fire in your belly. And I believe that each of us has a passion buried in ourselves, and sometimes as adults, it gets buried because maybe um, life hasn't been good to us or has treated us the way that we wanted things to to be. And, uh, and I remind people, look inside yourself. There is a passion that you have where you can offer to this world that just gets you up in the morning and you're just excited. I talked about my former roommate and also one of my best friends, Catherine, in the book, and she has a passion for cooking. She loves it. She's not looking for any accolades or any spotlight. She just has a passion for cooking. And are you a cook, Elena?
0: At times.
1: Okay, at times. I'm not the best cook, but I'm working on it. Um, Cooking takes time. There's a lot of love in cooking when you do do it right. There's a lot of creativity involved, and she has a passion for that, and she shares that gift with others. And I, I get to sample her cooking, and I have to tell you, it is outstanding. So in this book, I remind people there is a passion in all of us. If you have it, go for it. And I used Richo as an example. His passion was he wanted to become an executive of a major sports franchise, and uh, that passion took a while for him to finally get it. You know, success is not something that happens overnight. But each of us has a passion, and, and it could be my best friend Catherine's passion, which is cooking. She's not looking for accolades or any attention. She just loves to do it for others. She loves to share her gift with others, and that's through cooking preparing meals, and letting us experience that. And your passion, obviously, is being a host of this radio um, show and letting your listeners hear so many different stories. And hopefully they get um, a lesson, a life lesson, out of listening to your radio show, and their lives are more enriched thanks to listening to your show.
0: I can only hope so. When guests such as you share their insights, their life lessons with all of us, we all come out better ahead. That's, that's my hope.
1: Yes, and I, and I believe that's what's happening because um, people are looking for information. They're craving for information. So when they land on your website and they listen to a podcast, they're searching for knowledge. And maybe at that time in their life, in in their lives, they're looking for how to get ahead, or they're looking to how to lead a team, and you have guests who can be able to provide that type of information.
0: Now, Maureen, you've gone from being in television reporting to being on reality television and now you've gone sort of full circle to the other side of things where you are co-owner of a production and media company. Is that your life passion? Yes so
1: one of the um, many projects that Northwest Production does is produce pageants. Um, My husband and I produced the Miss Washington USA, Miss Washington Teen USA, Miss Idaho USA, and Miss Idaho Teen USA pageants. And the winner of the Miss Division then competes on NBC in the Miss USA pageant. And the winner of the Miss USA pageant then competes in the Miss Universe pageant, which is seen by almost one billion viewers. That is way more than the Super Bowl. So when you put those numbers together, it attracts a large audience. And we know with the pageants we can start shaping these young contestants' lives at an early age. They are craving for information. They want wisdom so that way it can help them in their career. And we find it such a blessing to be able to be around these young contestants and to share with them what we've learned about getting ahead in life, about building relationships so that they can carry it on in their careers. Um, My husband um, mentored one of the former winners of the Miss Washington USA pageant who is now an anchor on CNN. Her name is Natasha Curry. And another one he mentored, another title holder winner, her name is Jamie Kern. She is now the owner of It Cosmetics, which is um, a cosmetic company. Makeup worn by the president's wife. So it's wonderful how he's met them at such a young age. And again, young people are, you know, our sponge for information. And here they are, they just making a huge impact in this world. And uh, and that's what we get to do is is uh, be a blessing to these young people's lives very early on in their careers.
0: Where do you hope to go from here?
1: I have so many passions and projects, Elena. Uh, One of the things I hope to do in 2014 is start working on a screenplay, and it's going to be a romantic comedy I've already formatted it in my head. I just need to have it on paper, but that's one of the projects that I'm working on. And I have a few other business ventures that he and I want to start. But I will tell you this. We are not going to have a boring life. It's going to be exciting, and we're just so looking forward to it. And on top of that, we hope to also start a family. So... um, We're just really looking ahead for what life has in store for us. How
0: exciting. Let's go back to the book. Who do you think will benefit the most from these personal and other immigrant stories that you share in the book about how to find success in the United States? You. And I
1: say you because listeners, and people from different backgrounds can benefit from this book. If you're a young professional looking to start a career, you can get insight from the people who I've interviewed. If you're a seasoned professional who is looking to make a life change, there are other people who I've interviewed who I believe can offer some wisdom to maneuver that path. If you're looking for a tick in your life like a kickstand there are people out there in this book who's going to tell you how do you bring that passion back into your life and uh, and I even have moms writing me telling me I could so relate to your book I 'm not a mom Elena so um, when I wrote the book um, I didn't know if if moms could relate as well. And I'm finding even moms are telling me I could so relate to your book. There's this chapter that talks about taking life in phases. You might not have everything that you want, that career, that family, that um, lifestyle where you're moving and shaking all at once at one time, but you might have it in phases in your life and that's perfectly okay. So to go back to your question, you, your listeners, anybody who wants a good pick-me-up book, I really do encourage them to read It Takes Moxie off the boat or out of school to making it your way in America.
0: What tips and suggestions would you share with our listeners, Maureen, that they can take back to their lives, to their businesses, that will help them overcome all the challenges that we face every day, what would you say from your life experience? What I found
1: is that any situations can be just temporary. It's all how our mind perceives that situation. Like my mother, she was not happy taking that job as a hotel housekeeper, being college educated, but she knew that job did not define her and this was a temporary situation. So perhaps you have listeners right now who aren't very happy with their jobs or they're looking for just a change in their their lives. Know that that situation is temporary and they have complete power to change it. If they're looking for a change in their career, what I would advise is take someone out for coffee who is an expert in that industry. Take them out for coffee and ask them, What did you do to be where you're at today? If you are unhappy in your relationships, whatever relationships they are, it's okay to let those relationships go. So I tell um, your listeners is that they're in complete control of their situation and know that the power of their minds. Um, One thing that I found about these people who I've interviewed there was nothing that was going to get in their way. I mean, they were so determined to go after their dreams, and you need to have that type of sheer determination, especially when life is throwing you curveballs. So just know that each situation can be temporary if you allow it to be. Each situation can
0: be permanent
1: if you allow that to be as well.
0: Thank you, Maureen, for joining us from Boise, Idaho.
1: Yes, and thank you, Elena, and I look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Thanks for having me.
0: And to our audience, thank you for listening to Maureen Francisco, who is author of It Takes Moxie, who discussed her book. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the hispanicmpr.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly, at editor at Hispanic That's editor at Hispanic